He's got a touchdown. Watch out. The earth is shaking. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. He won't give it up. Oh, my. He's all by himself. Fires into the end zone. Touchdown. That's one of the most impressive athletic feats I have ever seen. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Getting Down to Brass Tacks. This is your host, Justin Maybe, alongside Caleb Hampton. How's it going, bud? It's going wonderful, and I'll tell you why. It's because if you are listening to this episode, you are about to enter the home stretch of the Brass Tacks season-wide preview. After we get done with this episode, we'll have covered every team in this league, including basically the unofficial 33rd team, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we here are just really happy. It's been really cool and been an interesting labor of love to put this preview together, doing this together for the first time. And we're so, excited for real football. And we're excited for real football. And this is kind of marking one of the last hurdles to get to this real football. Absolutely. Is by doing this last divisional preview. Absolutely. And the NFC West is a division that has a lot of interesting storylines and a lot of good players and just some question marks. And good question marks always bring good conversation and good football talk. We're going to start off the NFC West divisional preview with the Arizona Cardinals. Their 2020 record was 8 and 8, a measly mediocre basic average as kind of average as you can get and they missed the playoffs. I would say that one of the biggest losses in the entire offseason is Larry Fitzgerald not playing for the Arizona Cardinals. The dude is an institution. Massive Fitzgerald is a legend. I, yo, he is first ballot Hall okay. of Fame all the way. Now, it should be noted here that we didn't say Fitzgerald retired. They didn't come to a deal at the end of the season. He He's, has not retired. He has not retired. He's still an undrafted free agent. I think his last quote was that he just doesn't feel the urge to play right now. That's what he said. He didn't feel the urge to play right now, but he's retired. So, who knows? It's very possible that... Fitzgerald could easily, at any point, sign on and join some team. So but next week, we'll be talking to you about how he joined Stan- uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he'll win another hey, and he'll I, win a Super Bowl for the look, first time. Let, let, let a Tampa Bay receiver go down and see if Larry Fitzgerald don't pop up there. And yeah. You know what? If he does, I ain't going to complain. Get you a ring, Larry. Yeah, get him a ring, get you and, a ring and go to the Hall of Fame. And go to the Hall of Fame. But, yeah, he's gone. Uh, Patrick Peterson at cornerback, Kenyon Drake running back, which was a little bit surprising to me as well, and Hassan Reddick, defensive lineman. Notable gains, which is probably, again, one of the bigger gains of this offseason, is J.J. Watt is now an Arizona Cardinal all the way from Houston, Texas. A.J. Green is now in Arizona, which is, is it a great replacement for Larry Fitzgerald? I think it's decent we'll see i mean he is another receiver who's also up in age I'm a man. yeah so technically that way it kind of works yeah but. and malcolm butler uh cornerback you know he got them from your tennessee titans hey you did enjoy you know maybe it'll work out for you who just couldn't pay him what he what he was trying to get paid and as far as draft they drafted Xavier collins at linebacker in the first round, Rondale Moore, wide receiver in the second round, and Marco Wilson, cornerback 
in the third round. So, Kale, take me through the Arizona Cardinals. What should we expect this year? Well, what can we expect? Well, I'm not sure what can what can we expect, but what Arizona Cardinals and the front office and the Arizona Cardinals fans are expecting is they're expecting another step forward, a step forward into the positive win column. You know, the last two seasons have not been great. I mean, yes, 2020 was an improvement, but that improvement still only got you to 500. You finished eight and eight. Look, we're at this point now where Kingsbury's got to show something. Like, and not only something, he's got to show a positive something. Kingsbury, now more than ever, really has got to show what exactly it was that made the Arizona front office decide to go with this coach out of places like Texas Tech. And he hadn't even done it at the pro level. And not even just, honestly, Kingsbury, but, like, you you got his quarterback, too. And, you know, you got, like, a lot of other guys that he specifically said, I want those guys, and it hasn't proven anything so far. Right. That is true. Kingsbury, unlike some other coaches, sometimes coaches come in, and they're trying to still initially do a lot of work with what they have on hand. But Kingsbury got to come in in a time frame and really got to clean slate a lot of things. And from the jump, from year one, he already had a good amount of his guys in the mix, but the results from his guys haven't been very good. And Murray is going to be the central piece of that. He's still on this rookie contract deal, the ever so precious cheap rookie deal. They have still been seeing some good flashes from them, but again, they need more. And the question we have to ask right now going into the season is, is Kyler Murray going to be capable of giving them the more? I think he is capable of giving them more. I think there's problems with the rest of the offense and defense. I think the defense more than the offense, honestly. And I think that's one of the reasons why they went out and they bolstered this roster with a heavy veteran presence. But the problem is most of the guys that they went and got are getting up there in age. Um, J.J. Watt, I believe, firmly still has it. And I think he regularly... Brings it as much as he possibly can every year. But A.J. Green? That is really the question. You look at those pickups of A.J. Green, and I would say even to a lesser extent, you know, Malcolm Butler, who, again, he did okay for the Titans, but he was not really a number one corner when we needed him to be due to injury, and he doesn't have that pace that allows him to keep up with these elite number one wideouts. So I'm curious to see how that will work out for him. He's kind of a different player now since he got benched in the Super Bowl. He is. like He is. I mean, you know, time and some injuries will do that, but, you know, that is what it is. I don't know. The question for them will be is, is the butler they have now still good enough to improve Mm -hmm. that secondary? Mm -hmm. Kyler himself, again, had a pretty good season. He throws for over 4,000, you know, um, completion rate right around about 67%. Of course, as all you like to see the INTs come down, but 12 INTs, not necessarily like super alarming. Yeah. Uh, not super alarming. He did struggle getting banged up, and that's not necessarily all on him. He's got an O-line that he's got to deal with that honestly hadn't been that great. They went out and got two new pieces in the offseason. Hopefully, they're going to be the right ones because he's got to stay healthy for them to have a chance, and they got to protect him because – Kyler Murray is just, you know, he's not, he's still not a very big QB from a physical standpoint, and that has its own problems that come with it. But I do got to point out, and a lot of people forgot this, the Arizona Cardinals, before Kyler Murray started getting banged up last season, 
they were top ten offense, mm-hmm. and, and because Kyler was able to get it done not only through the air but rushing as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, thinking back on some of those games last year, they were they were probably one of the best looking eight and eight teams last year, aside from Kyler getting banged up and and having trouble. But but I mean, I could kind of see even just with the eye test that. They were a, a top ten offense. They are, yeah, and they were. And it was very much a thing with watching them in the season, where it's like when things were clicking and it was good, they could be very hard to handle when the Cardinals and Murray were flowing. But if that wasn't there, it became very difficult for them. And they still haven't really shown a good penchant for being able to claw back into a game if yeah. they're already down. Yeah. So that's gonna that's gonna have to improve. Yeah, the rushing game was actually this is a really cool stat that you know we found while we were working on this was the rushing game for last year was actually really great, third best rushing offense in the league. But if you take Kyler Murray out of that, you actually see that the running back groups themselves kind of were below average. Connor and Edmonds only combined for eleven sixty nine yards, just over a thousand yards. And also, 955 yards from Kenyon Drake. Were they wrong for leaving, letting him go? Again, that's really the question that has to be asked, is that if you let him go and Kyle's working that well, are you really believing that the running backs there are going to be able to pick up that slack? Also, we got to have to ask, maybe in general, do we want? do you even want Murray running that much. That much. Because it's not that Murray isn't good at rushing because he is. But, again, just the risks that are associated with running as a QB, you know, the the head, the legs, the knees, all of that. you got to worry about that, and you got to minimize that sort of thing, especially when you look at somebody like Murray, who, again, I keep saying it, but he's built differently. He's not Cam Newton. And even Cam Newton paid a price for taking the hits that he took. So how many do you think – that Murray will be able to afford before it could take a more permanent toll. The Cardinals wideouts this season, there's just a big gap with Cardinals wideouts. And it's, the problem is that Hopkins stands almost on the top of a mountain by himself when it comes to receivers just in the league. That guy is on a different level like, than I mean, anybody else on that team. He, he is on that team and really almost basically anybody in the league the only person I can really think that you could talk about in that same sort of regard as a Hopkins is somebody like Michael Thomas when he's healthy or Adams up in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how good he is. The problem is that you ain't going to be able to throw it to Hopkins every time because guess what? Everyone else also was aware that Hopkins is a human glove. Yep. And they cover him appropriately. So it's going to take somebody like Christian Kirk really stepping up and being a more reliable second receiver which he's gone in and out of doing that with and I mean seeing I guess if you're going to get something from Green since you signed him yeah looking at the defense too Vance Joseph he's good he's been good for a very long time so even with dealing with you know an injury situation that was pretty much among the worst in the league it was real he, bad y'all he was still able to do a lot with so, so little uh, that he had they finished 12th overall that was one of the best and Chandler Jones only playing five games. That was with him only playing five games. Right. You look at something like that, and then you think about a returning Chandler Jones and then bringing in J.J. Watt, 
could be a very now even more formidable front line, bringing yeah. a lot more pressure and a lot more heat down on these QBs. But again, even with that, got to ask, will Watt stay healthy? Because he played basically all last season, and that's well, and that's good, and that's great, but that's the first time he's done that in the last, like, four seasons. Yeah. So you have to ask yourself, what's the probability that he will manage to do that again? I mean, I think he's I think he's taking a little bit better care of himself. I think he's trying to make sure that things like that don't happen in the future. So it remains to be seen, but I think he'll definitely do what he can to avoid that injury bug again this time around. True. I think the real glaring issue for them starts when you begin to look at the secondary Mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. Again, you let Patrick Peterson go, one of the best corners in the league. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, you didn't bring in adequate replacements. Again, think about what we just told you in the loss in the games. We told you Patrick Peterson left, and then they went went out and they brought in Malcolm Butler. Mm -hmm. That's not an equal sort of in-and-out scenario. I'm not trashing Malcolm Butler saying he's not on that same level. And then you drafted a corner, but also don't think we should expect third-round corner Wilson to be able to make up that ground. So that's going to be the thing. How is that going to work out? Is that going to maybe cause them to be a little too blitz-heavy? I mean, we've seen teams do this before where they get rid of, like, one solid guy and then try and replace one of the better guys at a cornerback position with three adequate ones. And I don't think it's worked, honestly. I mean, because you're trying to rotate guys in and out, then then the, you know, offense – you know, on the other side of the ball, sees that happening, and they start seeing those matchups they can exploit, and then yeah. that's and, when they hit you with and, a big play. And there are matchups they can exploit. Like I'm just look, I'm not gonna go too desperate, but if you go back and look at the Titans games last season, start looking into some of those third down conversions that shouldn't have been, and those touchdowns that we get scored on. Butler's in a good amount of those situations. He's a, he's the DV that you're that you're hoping to make the play that didn't in a lot of those situations. So yeah. again, we'll see how that turns out. Ultimately, I don't know. It brings me to a weird place when we start talking about the Arizona Cardinals schedule. I mean, already off the bat, they have two first tough ones. They got to play the Tennessee Titans week one. It's not going to be easy. Malcolm Butler revenge game. Malcolm Butler revenge game. I guess he maybe tries to get an interception on Tannehill. Probably ain't gonna happen though. You played yourself. You got the Vikings. You got Jacksonville. That's that's not bad. When you look at their schedule, it's balanced. I don't think they necessarily like got set up for a failure, but with so many different pieces to their team, it's hard to kind of evaluate what yeah. they might do. Yeah, I mean, obviously, tennis at Tennessee right off the bat is tough. You know, you got then you got Minnesota, but then Jacksonville. You got L.A. You got San Francisco. I mean, I'm looking at you know. I'm looking at you know week eight Green Bay and then at San Francisco again. So like you're playing San Francisco twice in like five weeks. True. Um, and then you got Seattle in week eleven. Then you go to a bye week. So I think this team could be kind of sneaky playoff, but maybe not. You know, like it just kind of depends on how that goes because it does kind of depend because they kind of could roll a few wins together and and be something different i mean honestly middle of the road eight and nine nine and eight i'm sensing that eight and nine and that's not gonna make the arizona people happy but i feel like that's kind of how it is now as i see it and if you got some problems with that then you know all right us at brass tax nfl and we'll also be more than happy to tell you why you're wrong on that on that form now we've got a red alert breaking news 
Jacksonville Jaguars have beat the Dallas Cowboys 34 to 14. What do we say on the Brass Tax Podcast? F the Cowboys. F, yo. We, we, we don't really need them like that anyways. <laughs> we don't. Uh, moving on, we are going to get into the San Francisco 49ers. They did not have a good go last season. They missed out on the playoffs, came in 6-10. and 10. Their loss, some of their big losses, they lost Witherspoon at cornerback. They lost C.J. Beathard at QB. I'm sure they're going to be devastated by that. Said no one ever. Jarrett McKinnon at, at running back. Like that's going to be a loss. That's yeah. a loss. As sure. we said, he went to KC in, in our previous episode. That, I think, is a sneaky good pickup for KC. Jordan Reed at tight end, retired. I mean, that dude, when he was healthy, which wasn't a whole lot, displayed a lot of talent. But, I mean, man, just the injuries and the concussions just really piled up on him there. Their notable gains, they brought in Samson Ebukam, good pass rusher D lineman. They got Alex Mack coming in from Atlanta to kind of bring in a new center. And Mohamed Sanu, the wide receiver journeyman, has now found a new home in the Bay Area as well. And uh, every and everybody's favorite third-string QB, Nate Sudfeld, <laughs> at, also got brought in. From Philly. From Philly. Now, in the draft, they acquired another QB, one that has way more hope and potential behind it than Sudfeld, in the number three pick, Trey Lance. My personal Twitter is actually a Trey Lance stand account. Hey, you heard, you heard it here first. I didn't, know, Just I didn't know that could be a thing. Just uh, in the second round, they picked up a tackle in Aaron Banks. Uh, running back was the answer in round three in Trey Sermon and they went out and grabbed cornerback Ambry Thomas from Michigan also in round three. Let's break it down. Really the big thing for them on the coaching front, Robert Sala, he gone. He took that head coaching job for the New York Jets. Y'all pray for him because he's going to need it because he's coaching the Jets. What that means for the Niners is that they have a new defensive coordinator and they brought in former star defensive player for the Houston Texans, D'Amico Ryans, to take over for for that coordinator role. And yeah, of course, they got Trey Lance. They got a new shiny QB in round one, even with the Jimmy G still there. So let's just talk about what everybody really wants to talk about with the Niners first. Justin, let's talk Trey Lance. Well, this is a uh, Trey Lance stand account. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I am a big, big fan of Trey Lance. I love what I've seen in preseason. I think the guy is is a natural born winner and I think he is a fighter and I think he can do some amazing things under center and so I think I am more excited about Trey Lance than almost any other quarterback in this really? uh, in this draft class honestly yeah Justin Fields still up there but I I'm, I think I think the ceiling is really high for Trey Lance and I think we're going to see a lot of both I think we're going to see Jimmy G and Trey Lance a lot this season I think Shanahan's going to kind of do some different things there at quarterback and you know start some different ways if you're Jimmy G right now how much pressure you got to be feeling with them drafting Trey Lance as the third overall pick I mean look this kind of thing was coming for Jimmy for a long time he spent a lot of time behind Tom Brady and spent you know, a lot of time being the backup. And now he's had a chance to start a lot of games and be the guy. And he hasn't done a lot with it. He's done some things, but he hasn't, I don't think he's done enough with it. Jimmy's hard because like, I feel like in general, when he has been playing, he has done enough. 
But the key word of that is when yeah. he has. And that's Jimmy G's biggest problem for me. Is it has nothing to do with any sort of ability of like the IQ or ability of the physical. It's really the main problem for Jimmy G and his biggest struggle is the ability of availability. Right. And the, the expectation can't be that because you studied under or, or were backing up Tom Brady for years and years and years that you're going to be the next Tom Brady. The expectation cannot be that. Does Jordan Love know that? <laughs> I mean, he, somebody might need to tell Jordan Love that. There's there's a lot of differences between Jimmy G and Tom Brady. And I mean, Jimmy hasn't had a lot of the same team around him as you know Tom Brady has. I think there's just so many differences with those two QBs. And I mean, looking at Trey Lance, I mean, I think his job is in severe jeopardy. I think so, too. And so much that I would say, looking at their schedule, like, hey, if things aren't going good for them, you know, I could definitely see after maybe the Week 10 game against L.A. or who knows, if it goes real bad, maybe after the bye week, you could see a change. I can easily see Trey Lance starting after the bye week, after Week 6. Yeah, you could easily see a change right there. Now, talking about the assets that either one of these QBs have around them, the Niners' run game is still there. They have a solid run game, albeit it's not, like, super highlight real inspiring. You don't see a lot of, like, big clips or big plays. But they do have a committee there that can get it done, led by Raheem Mostert. Production could be in jeopardy, I think, if he happens to go down and he struggled with some niggling injuries, you know, at 1.2. So hopefully they can keep that intact. Looking at the wide receiver core, Brandon Ayuk. He was the one that came up pretty well for them last season in his rookie year. They're going to hope he goes forward. Is that a dog? Debo Samuel is going to be there yet again. Debo is one of those guys where, again, I feel like I see a couple of good plays and you, you see the potential there, but the next game or maybe the next two games, he might just become a ghost. So they need that consistency here for him. But Just a quick note on the running backs, too. Two of them are rookies on their death chart. And and honestly, who knows any of these names? Jermichael Hasty, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon, and Jeff Wilson Jr. I mean, two rookies out of that group. Who knows what to expect out of the running back? Game. And that's the thing. Nobody knows, but, but they are going to have to have some production from them. And when we're looking at these wide receivers like Ike and Samuel, they have some good potential, but it's not proven and it is not sustainable. The star... When it comes to who you throw the ball to, it's still clearly George Kittle. George Kittle. In my opinion, I think Kittle's like easy top three. Honestly, probably top two tied in for me behind Kelsey. What yeah, do you think about that? yeah. And looking at, I mean, you can talk about it all day from fantasy perspective, but I mean, it continues to be consistent over the years that there's the top like two to three guys in tight ends, and then there's everybody else. That used to be Gronkowski. Gronkowski not really in that top three anymore, although we'll see what happens you know, this next year because he's got Brady back and, again, you know, the Super Bowl and everything. But George Kittle is now in that top three, and I think he's been getting there pretty quickly and moving up pretty quickly. So, right. so overall, they have some decent options, but it's not like an embarrassment of riches or anything. Is that a dog? The defense, that's where the real fear comes into play. That's where teams around the league, that's where they start getting uneasy when it comes to talking about the 49ers. That is their strength. Even though they got just absolutely battered 
with injuries. So dealt with some of the worst injuries on their defense out of any defense in the league. They still managed to be seventh against the pass and tenth against the rush in on DVOA. Which is really surprising after so many injuries. And I mean, Bosa's back too, and that can be lethal, you know, if him and D four can stay healthy. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, the on their secondary front, they signed him on a good deal after he had some good production last year. Gave him that one year kind of prove it contract here again. So hopefully they'll get another good return, and they're gonna need it because honestly their corner depth not good, and their secondary is the weak spot of the scary defense. Looking at their schedule going into this season, I think it's a bit easier schedule than they were dealing with last season i think that's a probably positive for them i mean i think going into the bye week they could be two and three or they could be three, three and two three and you know, two? like yeah. which is completely different you know like when it comes to looking at things so there's definitely some moves there but then honestly after the bye week and after their bye week if things kind of general they can kind of roll in their it can things can kind of roll in their favor yeah i mean you got the rams you know monday night football week 10 you're gonna have played arizona twice at that point so you know maybe you split those um you're gonna have at seattle sunday night football and then christmas eve eve you got at tennessee thursday night football as well so cincinnati atlanta jacksonville right you're playing them you're playing you know the, Houston the after that too right so they they have a good mix in there I try to be more pragmatic I, I don't like to be super super optimistic with them but you know what I'm gonna be optimistic for the 49ers to show you that positive thinking can maybe be powerful sometimes I'm gonna book San Francisco in I'm gonna lock them in for 11 and 6 okay 11 okay. and 6 I'm going 10 and 7 I, I'll take them down a, a notch there I think they got a favorable schedule, a good defense. And, yeah, I think as long as that can be intact, they have the ability to get some good quality Ws this season. Next up, we've got the Seattle Seahawks. Their record was 12-4 and last year. They made the playoffs, but they lost in the divisional round. In terms of losses, Carlos Hyde at running back is out. They've kind of been struggling with running back for a while now. And I thought Carlos Hyde was a pretty good pickup for them. But, you know, obviously they... Didn't keep him around. Greg Olson at tight end, who should have retired by now. He did. Um, That is is indeed the reason why um, he's not there. Yeah. Shaquille Griffin at cornerback. Jonathan Ballard at defensive end. Jaron Reed at defensive end. Philip Dorsett at wide receiver. And Quentin Dunbar at cornerback. In terms of games, Gabe Jackson at right guard. Gerald Everett at tight end. Akella Witherspoon at cornerback which sounds like one of my favorite names in the nfl <laughs> um and then carrie Hyder at defensive end and then in terms of the draft seahawks went after Dwayne eskridge at wide receiver in the second round trey brown cornerback in the fourth round and uh, stone Forsyth, also a great name at offensive tackle sounds like an action movie star yeah in the sixth round so props to you stone caleb i mean looks like there's quite a bit of Problems happened this offseason for Russ and the Seattle Seahawks. What do you think? Basically, I'd have to agree with you. Look, the best way I could explain the Seahawks in the offseason is quite simply, there was mad unrest up in that Seahawks nest, man. Russ and his team, they were angling for a trade in the offseason. 
you know, they had a list of teams that they say that Russ would like to venture to, and it, the trade didn't get materialized. But what did get made crystal clear is that Russell Wilson has some problems with the team setup and how he's being used, viewed, and protected, or should, or lack of protected. I really didn't see Russ ever leaving. Honestly, throughout that whole process, anybody would want to have Russell Wilson. Yeah, I don't think you could say as a Tennessee Titans fan, you wouldn't not you would not take Russell Wilson. I will look you dead in the eyes, right, just like I'm doing right now, and tell you that I love Ryan Tannehill, but I will throw Ryan Tannehill in the Cumberland River if it means I can I could get Russell Wilson to be QB here. Exactly. I mean, at, no, you you wouldn't turn down Russell Wilson, but I just didn't think he was ever going to leave. But it's completely understandable from a QB perspective that your offensive line has just been awful. He's done such a fantastic job of avoiding some serious, serious injuries. Definitely. definitely. I mean, I have no problem saying this for me personally. I firmly believe Russell Wilson, even still right now, he's a top five quarterback in oh, yeah. this league. Oh, yeah. And if you think about it that way, it kind of makes him more impressive because he's a top five quarterback and he arguably has a worse offensive line than any of the other people mm-hmm. that would be in that group with him. Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers would probably get sacked more often than Russell Wilson. Yeah. Wilson's athletic ability, and not only that, his attention to detail when it comes to taking care of himself. I mean, Russ is spending millions and millions of dollars per year to take care of himself. has his own personal doctor that only looks at him. Russ is this dude's only client. He is taking care of himself very seriously. Definitely far more seriously than it seems like the Seahawks Yeah, be taking care of. I mean, he asked for a change of scenery, and that didn't happen. The best he got was they made a trade and they got a new guard. That's not good enough. A, a guard. Yeah, yeah. It's not good Here, enough. Here, we'll give you one guy. And it's not good enough. But it's, it's almost like, for me, in my mind, Russell Wilson is punished because of how talented he is. Because he's able to still produce with dealing with that BS, because he's able to evade, you know, and run for his life as well as he does and hit the patented Russ baseball slide to safety, they keep letting him do without. And it's it's really a shame. Drafted by the Yankees last year. Drafted hey, don't don't play. The Yankees struggling too. They need some extra something extra something different. At least sell some some jerseys. Don't play. Well look. Russ is still there, and they need to be grateful. They need everybody in Seattle need to shower. That man would praise wherever he go. Make sure him and Sierra are nice and happy. Because yeah. if Sierra ain't happy, y'all going to have problems. Looking at the Seahawks run game, Chris Carson is there, and he's actually low-key still good mm-hmm. when you look at the metrics. And I say the metrics because when you look at the, when you look at them just in the highlights, it's usually not that great. You know, He's not out here juking people out of their cleats necessarily all the time. He's also not out here victimizing and abusing guys like King Henry is with the stiff arm, but he just kind of goes to work and he gets the yards that he needs to get. Over 50% of his carries resulted in positive yardage. That seems like a pretty damn good stat to me. And it's also a little bit weird because, you know, I think a, a lot of people and maybe Seahawks fans, you can reach out to us on at Brass Tax NFL if this is the case. But I, I feel like when we see somebody like Chris Carson having a 50% carry result in positive gains, we still think that kind of looks bad because it's not Marshawn Lynch or it's not a bruiser back like Derrick Henry. Yeah. So, you know, like we think, oh, they have a bad 
you know, running back game. But, you know, over 50%, that's pretty good. That's good. Pretty good. Some of the other stats, when look, it's not on him. He doesn't call plays. He doesn't get to call plays himself. And the truth of the matter is that, as we've seen since the whole Seahawks and throwing on the two debacle from the Super Bowl, they like to pass in the end zone. Yeah. When it comes down to red zone situations, Carson and the running back somehow are not really the first choice. It's always the passing options. So, you know, I don't know if that'll change. I don't know if that's going to change or not, but Carson will still be asked to do a big job for them. Yeah, and when it looks when you look at this wide receiver group, I mean, I think this is one of if not the best two guys in the league for a quarterback like Russell Wilson at Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I've been continuously impressed with DK Metcalf every single year he's been in the league. D- Yo, know, DK Metcalf is a stud and dude is almost a genetic freak. Yeah. Like they are a very formidable duo. Like I said, definitely one of the best. They both hauled in over 1K in receiving yards last season. They're dang good. I think for me, as a tight end, I want I kind of using them as the measuring stick. Of, I need Julio and AJ to be on that sort of level of uh, wreaking havoc on defenses. And I think Lockett and Metcalf are going to continue to do that this season. And then looking at you know tight end Everett in is an upgrade over Olsen. You know, especially after him retiring. I mean, it's it's kind of starting to go downhill a little bit for Greg Olsen. So I think he left at a good time. The rookie. Dwayne Eskridge, they're hoping he can start to pick up the pace right off the bat as soon as he gets, you know, acclimated to the offense. On defense, the Hawks paid up to keep star safety Adams. I think they're trying to start to rebuild a new Legion of Boom. Even in preseason, this team is getting after the quarterback. They have. They've definitely been working on on that pass rush. That's a good thing for them. They're going to need that secondary to be good because, honestly, looking at, like, the the D-line, I'm not necessarily seeing a whole lot of um, sacks there. So they're going to have to be smart in their coverage with the secondary, you know, using using the zones and also mixing up the zones and mixing up the, the blitz coverages, I think. So when we look at the schedule, I mean, for Seattle, you've got at Indy right off the bat, but then you go Tennessee. So you've got couple hard games and then at minnesota at san francisco you get a few hard games uh, indies you know indy doesn't scare you but three out of the first four on the road those hard for anyone yeah yeah for sure um and so there's definitely some hard hard road games right off the bat you got at pittsburgh sunday night football and they've actually got thursday night football and then nine days and then at pittsburgh so i mean this team can be formidable you know with the with a good defense but I think we're going to know by the bye week what to expect. I would say so. I, th- I definitely, when you look at it that way, especially with them having their bye week in week nine, I think the first half is a bit more trying for them that, than that second half. Not everything's perfect there, but again, when you have somebody as good as Russell Wilson and you have enough quality offensive weapons as they do putting up you know high point totals they they average like 28 points a game you're going to put yourself in a good position to come up with a lot of wins i see seattle coming away with probably you know probably like 12 and 5 12 and 5 at the end of the season and that's going to be enough to get them in the playoffs and to make another run again i think 12 and 5 is is definitely solid for sure um i don't see i think they could probably sneak off one or two more out of that but you know it just depends on how well the defense holds up and honestly i don't think they 
you know, they haven't had a ton, ton of really bad injuries very much. So injury bug could hit this yeah. season as well. If you're a Seahawks fan and you're listening to us, you should definitely be knocking on wood at that line. Russ's doctor better be getting a pay, pay raise or something. And he needs a pay raise. He, he's going to be on standby. I, I can assure you he will be there. <laughs> but overall, I think the Seahawks are going to be sitting pretty well off here going into the season. Last up, we've got the Los Angeles Rams. Their record was 10-6. and six. They lost in the divisional round to the Green Bay Packers, who then obviously lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. So, notable losses, Jared Goff at QB, which was one of the bigger surprises of this offseason. Josh Reynolds at wide receiver. Malcolm Brown at running back. Samson Ebukam. Please don't come after me on Twitter. Please. Uh, if the, I said your name wrong, uh, defensive end, Michael Brockers at defensive end, and Gerald Everett at tight end as well. So quite a few guys gone. But then in terms of gains, they got Matt Stafford from Detroit. My guy, Deshaun Jackson, deep threat. Deshaun Jackson, the fantasy boomer bust king. And I would probably say more bust lately than boom. That's true, but at one point... He boomed. Yeah, yeah. And he's got a Super Bowl ring and didn't do much. That's so, true. So, and they also went into the draft and got Tutu Atwell, uh, wide receiver, in the second round, and Ernest Jones at linebacker in the third round. Caleb, as you were doing your research, I think you came up with kind of one big conclusion this offseason. And what was that? Well, the conclusion I came to and the one that obviously Sean McVay and company came to was Jared Goff is holding this whole operation back, and he got to go. And that's exactly what they did. They made one of the biggest moves of the offseason. I'd probably say the biggest move of the offseason. And they swapped QBs with Detroit. Then they acquired Stafford, and they shipped Jared Goff off to the land of Motown. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I think L.A. definitely came out the victor in this trade. You know, just a straight-up trade. I think Matt Stafford is a great QB that has had some really, really rough times in Detroit. Is constantly having to deal with mediocreness surrounding him. And I'm not saying that Megatron is, you know, average, because obviously he was great. But they never won a Super Bowl. They did not get to the playoffs very often. It was just more bad than good in Detroit. Yeah, it was. It was more bad than good. Look, obviously... Stafford and Megatron weren't weren't going to be enough to just make that team good. Yeah, no, not a slide on them. They just they also can't play every position. You know that Detroit that Detroit needed. Overall, in terms of the player, the Rams came out on top. Stafford is the better player than Golf. Just mm-hmm. for me, that's just just like reality. Stafford is a top ten QB when it came to dealing with QB with QB pressure versus Golf, who legitimately was next to last in the, in that metric. Yeah. You know, Staff, like Stafford better at the play action. Stafford's better executing the play action, which is something that was Goff's bread and butter. And I don't think Stafford's really going to, like, have to do a whole, whole lot of adjustments there. The Rams are still in a solid position, despite the moves and despite the changes, to win a championship. I mean, they lost in the divisional round. And the only reason they lost to Green Bay is because they had poor quarterback play. Right. right. I was like, well, you had Jerry Goff, and they had Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. And and one of those things is not like the other. (laughs) No, it's just this is how it is. A lot of people forget, but Goff actually went number one overall behind Carson Wentz 
and now we're seeing these two very high sought after QBs that were supposed to be the future five years in already on different teams both of them the NFL is uh, what are you doing for me right now sort of league and we've seen the change with more expectations and bigger contracts and all that things all those things kind of involved coaches just are not trying to put in as much time to really groom and develop these high-end prospects if you are not going to come in especially if you're one of those people getting drafted in that first round or whatnot if you're going to come in and immediately produce we're not going to sit here and wait and hope on it for you know seasons at a time like we used to see yeah so without much flash or fanfare, they had a pretty good running game last season, but Cam Akers is gone now. And so he had a Achilles injury. So I guess, you know, who's the replacement there? I mean, they got Daryl Henderson, and he was there. Henderson rushed for 625 last year. I mean, granted, yes, he was sharing snaps with Cam Akers. He wasn't the first choice. So, I mean, I guess all you can really hope with that scenario is that you will get more production just because you were giving him more snaps. Yeah, and when I look at this wide receiver group, I mean, you put Jared Goff with Woods and Cooper Cup, like, it was good, and they are both dangerous. But I feel like putting Stafford with that, I think it gets freaky scary. It's an up- I mean, it's, it's definitely an upgrade. You, you have to give that wide receiver core way more respect now, I think, just by having Stafford back there. You know, Woods is a very... Good player. Cup is a sneaky good number two. Very good route runner. Smooth running the routes. And even though Reynolds, they let go, I think, you know, again, between Jackson being there, the rookie that they drafted in, in Atwell and Jefferson, one of those guys will be able to kind of fill in that third receiver role on top of that they got good o-line continuity they got five o-line starters coming back and that's something that if you're stafford you like to hear because you need that stability and especially when that stability is coming from a top 10 pass block rating o-line yeah and then if we look at the defense i mean they were the number one ranked defense last year quietly because, you know, the, I think there were a lot more flashier defenses. Chicago comes to mind. People talk you know, a lot more about Washington at yeah, that time. Yeah, but the Rams were... I really feel like this team has quietly been good. Well, they, uh, they were, and the problem is that even though the defense was good, they were still losing some of those games. So it causes it caused them to not be talking about and not get the respect that they really deserve. And, and a lot of that comes from Aaron Donald. Oh, it, it definitely a yeah. lot of it's Aaron Donald. I mean, yeah. also Ramsey. Yeah. Ramsey's no slouch either, but yeah. Donald is, I mean, again, Donald is a top 10 player. Mm-hmm. At, you know, overall positions and all that, he's a top 10 player in this yeah. league. Yeah, 13 and a half sacks, 28 quarterback hits, and first in pass rush win rate for a defensive linebacker last year. Easily, at this point, I think it's safe to say he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's on track, man. I mean, yeah. he, he really is a sight to behold. So, I mean, you've got, you've got him up there, and then you've got, for my money, the best corner duo in Jalen Ramsey and Darius Williams. Yeah. So... Pick, pick your poison with, with that team. So the biggest question on defensive will probably be that coordinator spot. 
Um, Raheem Morris is in his first season after Staley left for the Chargers. So what do you think in there? I hope they know what he's doing. Really, again, with the talent you have here, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Nobody's asking you to blow up this entire defense, make the few adjustments that need to be made. But for the most part, let the excellent talent you have do what they do best. And that is hunt QBs down. Is it worrisome that they may go down a bit? I mean, I mean, it's number one to like, top five i mean i mean yeah that's possible i mean i think it's highly likely that you could be number one you know back-to-back seasons so yes i think you have to expect there will be a little step down but you know just a little one i don't think it's going to be a massive step down even with a coordinator change yeah i mean looking at the schedule you got chicago right out the gate on uh, sunday night football you know first week so that's going to be a defensive game and it'll be a good test for the new Stafford-led offense to see if they can, you know, not only protect Stafford with the O-line, but also, you know, if he can score some solid points against Chicago's defense. And then, you know, you got kind of a gimme with Indy, but then you're playing Tampa Bay. It's kind of a back and forth of, you know, rough game, good game, yeah, rough right. There, game. There's no, there's no, there's no true like tough stretch, and there's no true cupcake stretch either. I mean, I can look at, you know. Tennessee week nine at San Francisco week ten bye week and then at Green Bay so that's that's to me like maybe the hardest right. that's, one that's the hardest but I mean they're getting maybe the easiest run right before that because yeah. you know they have with their week six against the Giants a week seven against Detroit and then week eight you know mm-hmm. against Houston so and week seven Matt Stafford Detroit revenge game I think he's probably going to go off to go off. And it's going to be personal. <laughs> it yeah. might be a little personal. For sure. So I think I think they, you know, I think they could squeak by with 12. I think they could maybe get 12 wins. I Saying that they would take 12 wouldn't shock me or blow me away. But for me personally, I think you still with some of the back and forth of their schedule and the team, the tough teams they are playing are legit tough teams. I'm a bit more conservative. So I'm going to I'm going to put them in at 10 and 7. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, this has been the Getting Down to Brass Tacks podcast. We are wrapped up with all of our divisional previews. So Yeah, we got down to these brass tacks. So the next time you'll see us, we're going to be recapping preseason week three. And then beyond that, I think we're going to do a little bit of a special fantasy-focused episode. Fantasy-focused, you know, more fun season predictor focus, all yeah. that, you know, MVP, who's going to be first to get fired, you know, all, all those good fun questions. We might do a little bit of betting at that point too and we'll probably also at that point outline a little bit of our dfs schedule if we if we figure things out from there but then beyond that we'll see you right before week one because we're going to be previewing all of the week one games before september 9th with the kickoff with dallas and tampa bay so this has been the getting down the brass tax podcast we really appreciate you listening be sure to follow us on twitter at brass tax nfl listen wherever you get your podcasts and until next time we'll see you soon peace y'all